If you will keep your Bibles open to Matthew 19, that is where we will be camping out. Now, Mission Church has always been and always will be as far as I'm concerned, not that I'm in charge of it, but that we will always preach straight through books of the Bible. And the reason for that is it forces us to preach texts that we probably wouldn't just choose to preach on our own. And sometimes that means we preach topics twice that we would not choose to preach on our own. But that is a good thing. The good news of that is that Pastor Eric has already done much of the heavy lifting in this passage because on April 17th, 2016, he already preached on the topic of divorce from Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. It is entitled, The Great Divorce. You can go back on our website, missionbg.com, and listen to that. The reason I'm bringing that up is because much of the, the answers you may be looking for about divorce are contained in that sermon. Due to time, I've had to cut some of the things out of this sermon, so I refer you back to those to get those answers. So if you were leaving here today, man, I really wish he'd answered this question about divorce. One, you can always come ask us, and we will be glad to talk to you about it. Two, the answer is probably located in that sermon. I listened to that sermon again this week, and I do want to speak directly to you, Pastor Eric. Thank you for trudging into those waters you did a fantastic job. I'm actually never planned on listening to it again. Glad I did. You did an excellent job. So I, I don't want your head to swell too much, but thank you. Pastorally, you did a great job. Um, again, there's going to be times I'm going to refer back to that sermon. I'm going to say, for this answer, you go back to that sermon. I'm not skipping things that are difficult. I don't just not want to say what I am supposed to say. Again, it is just in the essence of time. Now, if you do go back and listen to that sermon, I am going to give you one quote. Pastor Eric said this, and I quote, When we get to chapter 19 of Matthew, we will just repost this sermon because I do not plan to tackle this topic again. <laughs> he, got, he got half of that right. He ain't going to tackle it again. <laughs> um, here we are. Welcome it's okay. I'm actually excited to be here this morning to preach this sermon. It has been a tough week, a busy week, uh, but I am extremely excited uh, to be here to preach this this morning. Before we start, though, before we jump headfirst into discussing divorce again, I know some of you are like, Ugh, again? I don't want to hear this again. Before we do that, I do want to pray for you and for myself before we even start, uh, start doing this. So pray with me. Heavenly Father, I, I pray that you would move me out of your way this morning. I am nothing. I am no one. I am a sinful man, and yet you have called me to be here this morning. You have sovereignly chosen me to preach these words. You have sovereignly chosen these people in this room to hear these words. And because of that, I pray that you would be the one speaking, that you would be the one moving in this place, that you would heal hearts that need to be healed, that you would encourage believers, that you would build marriages upon the cornerstone of Jesus and that we could all rest and trust in you for our forgiveness, for our grace, for our mercy, for our steadfast love because you are the one who instituted marriage, you are the one that built marriage, you are the one that designed marriage, and you are the one that designed families. I pray that I would simply speak truth this morning, that if there is anything on any of these papers that are in front of me, that you would not want me to say, that you would not allow me to say them. pray that you would move, and if anyone is in this room that is unsaved, I pray you would save them in this place this morning. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. All right, so we will be discussing divorce today, 
But again, because it's already been covered almost exactly a year ago, we will also spend more of our time on the importance of faithful families and how do we build those. This sermon will explain what Jesus meant in these verses, but again, it will go in a different direction at one point. So first we have to lay a little bit of groundwork as we always do. See, we live in a culture where divorce is no big deal. Nobody even blinks an eye at divorce any longer. It's expected. If you are above the age of about 30 and you're unmarried, you almost expect to find someone who has already been married and divorced before you are going to get married. It's the butt of many jokes. It is portrayed on TV as commonplace as non-divorced couples. If you are a, fan, a child of the 90s, how many times did Ross get married on Friends? It was like every other episode. And they made jokes about it and ha-ha and laughed. And don't get me wrong, the show's funny, but it made light of a very painful topic. It made light of divorce. We see easy, no-fault divorces. We see drive-through marriages. You pull around that same building, you can probably do a drive-through divorce. That's probably mostly in Vegas, but either way, they exist. You drive through, you get married, you circle around, you're already divorced. Premarital sex is an even smaller deal. No one seems to care that high schoolers and maybe younger than that and college-age students are engaging in these things. No one even thinks it's odd. It's almost a rite of passage for them. Extramarital sex is as common in the workplace as work seems to be. People are inviting other people into their bedrooms with their husbands and wife, willingly allowing them into the intimate times that should be reserved for only a husband and a wife, and they are inviting other people in. Pornography. It's a more lucrative industry than all major sports combined in this country, and that's a lot of money. When I was growing up and the internet was barely a thing, thank you Al Gore, is you had to know where to look. You had to search for pornography. Now it hunts you down and attacks you. Ask men that are on the internet regularly how often they have to go, whoa, didn't mean to get here. You Google something, you click images thinking it's innocent, and it's not so innocent. It hunts you down. It is everywhere, and it's no big deal. Suffice it to say, the world is a much different place than when my parents grew up, and definitely a different place than most of our parents' parents grew up. But here's the thing, I don't think that all of this stems from divorce is no big deal. I don't think this is because divorce has been made not a big deal. I think it is because family is no longer a big deal. Marriage is no longer a big deal. No one seems to care about family and marriage. They don't put a huge emphasis on it. And I think that is the root cause, is that God is no longer a big deal. God's word and what he says about marriage and about divorce and about families and about faithfulness is no longer a big deal. So family is the next domino to fall. When we take God's word out, the family is going to suffer. We see families destroyed by divorce. We see children suffer through divorces. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands because I, I, I think everyone would be raising their hand. I know every single person in here knows someone who is divorced, but I would be willing to bet that every single person in this room is related to someone who has been through a divorce. That is how prevalent it has become. And when family is fluid and when it's not viewed as permanent, 
Rampant divorce is inevitable. There's nothing to stop it. If you, if you go into a marriage thinking, I'll see how long this goes. Divorce is the next step. It's an easy answer when things don't go according to plan. And you see, this was true in Jesus' day as well. In this passage, you see Jesus moving on from where we saw last week, where he reiterated the importance of forgiveness received equals forgiveness given. You have been forgiven much, therefore you forgive much. He moves on, and you see the Pharisees, the religious, the the know-it-alls, the the elite, whatever you want to call them. The Pharisees come up to him. They Once again, they're trying to catch him. They're trying to get him in trouble. They're trying to back him into a corner, trying to get him to answer a question that they think he doesn't have an answer to. The thing is, surely they know his stance on divorce. The Sermon on the Mount was 14 chapters ago. It was a while back. I'm sure through the grapevine they have heard what Jesus said in that sermon about divorce. They know where he stands on the issue, and yet they're asking him this question to try to entrap him or or test him. But another thing they're trying to do is something that has happened between chapter 5 and chapter 19 where we are is, is chapter 14 happened, and John the Baptist was beheaded. Why was he in jail in the first place? Because he was speaking about marriage and adultery against Herod. He was saying that this is not right for you to have your brother's wife. This is not the way marriage was meant to be. This is not what family is supposed to look like. And they beheaded him. So they're thinking, hey, if we can get Jesus to say something publicly that Herod doesn't like again about marriage and family and adultery and all of those things, maybe he'll get beheaded too and we can squash this whole Christianity thing. So they ask him a question and they test him. Jesus, is it lawful to divorce your wife for any reason. Now our language, our English language, makes this, if you put the, the right, as my dad would say it, the right emphasis on the right syllable, it makes it seem less offensive than it really is. It sounds like they're asking Jesus, is there ever any reason to divorce? We're trying to save all of our marriages here, but we just want to know, just in case, is there anything that could cause a divorce? That's not what they're asking. They are asking it the other way. They are putting the emphasis in a different spot. They are asking Jesus, can we just divorce for any reason at all, anything at all? Jewish custom had come a long way by then. See, at that time, you could, you could legally divorce your wife for any reason whatsoever. It does not matter. That is what they're asking Jesus. Any reason we see fit, is that cool? And this is one of those times. This is covered in Eric's sermon. April 17th, 2016, you're going to have that date in your memory by the time you leave here. But literally anything was allowed then. Bad cook, bad look, you're done. Get out of my house. We're done here. Anything was fair game. They deemed marriage as a contract. And when you view marriage as a contract, as soon as one party doesn't live up to their end of the deal, you want to renegotiate that deal. And part of the renegotiation is get out of my house. I don't want you anymore because you're not living up to our contract. See, divorce in Jesus' time, just like now, had become no big deal. And I ask you if that sounds familiar. I looked up, it was almost a mistake, but I looked up stupid divorce reasons this week. And these are true stories. I read them on the internet. they got to be true. One, wife bought husband World of Warcraft for a Christmas gift. In nine months, he had become so obsessed with it, 
that she left him because he literally stopped doing anything else. Anything. So she left. This one's my favorite slash worst. Makes me sad. I want to curl up in the corner. Couple got married. Two months into the marriage, the husband had not yet changed his Facebook status to married, so she left him. There must be something up why he doesn't want to change that to married. I'm out of here. Just an FYI, Facebook is cited in one in five divorces in America now as a, as a one major cause of the divorce. As if I didn't already want to get rid of it, I think that might be enough right there. Third, husband banned his wife from watching soap operas. I'm out of here. Fourth, this, is, this it's got to be true. It's on the internet. I can't believe that this is true. Wife became obsessed with the movie Frozen. Yeah, off to a good start. She finally got her husband to watch the movie with her. He said, eh, it's all right. She left him because something must be wrong with him if he doesn't love this movie as much as I do. I'm out. Again, Abraham Lincoln said, if you read it on the internet, it must be true. So it's got to be true. I did see that on like three websites, though, so I think it is. Anyway, divorce then and now has become expected. It has become nothing. It is, you can leave your wife over, or husband over the movie Frozen or World of Warcraft or Facebook. Apparently, any of those are fine. It's all based on feelings. It's all based on temporary circumstances. It's all based on how I feel today. It's, it's based on the flawed premise from the beginning that marriage doesn't any longer have to be permanent. When I say, till death do us part, I don't really have to mean till death do us part. I mean till I decide differently. Divorce is going to be an easy answer when you go into a marriage, even if divorce is even an option. And again, quoting from Pastor Eric's sermon, the two pastors at this church will not marry you if you don't go into marriage counseling and say the words, I will not divorce my husband or wife. It is paramount that you go into it with the attitude, I am not leaving this marriage. So they asked Jesus if this were still okay to divorce for any reason whatsoever, hoping to get a yes or no out of him. They should have learned by now. He never gives a yes or no answer. He always answers a question with a question to try to lead them to the right answer. So he says to them, have you not read? Side note, Jesus expects you to read. Time back in. Have you not read how it was designed from the beginning? God is reminding us of a truth that we need to be reminded of this morning. God designed marriage. God designed family. If you are a note taker, that's something you can write down. This is not something the government has control over or has created. Marriage is not something that the government made. God made marriage and God designed it to be a specific thing. He sees divorce as a big deal because he sees the family as a big deal. He made it. If he took the time to make family and marriage, then why wouldn't it be a big deal to him? He sees divorce as a big deal because it goes completely against his character and nature. He is the God who has said in Deuteronomy 31.6, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Therefore, marriage, when someone says, I am going to leave you and I am going to forsake you, goes against the very character of God, the very nature of God. 
goes against his nature of steadfast love that we see in God. The very nature that we see from Jesus a couple of chapters ago, or last chapter I believe, where if one of my sheep go astray, I am going after that sheep. I'm not just going to cut ties and go, ah, oh well, I got 99 more. He's going after them. So to throw in the towel on a marriage because you don't get along or your differences are irreconcilable is simply portraying the gospel in a bad light. It is not portraying the gospel you claim to believe. See, we cannot sin against God and then expect Him to bless us or turn a blind eye to that sin because it was convenient. We cannot pretend that God does not see divorce as a very, very big deal. Malachi 2.16 says that God hates divorce. Why does God give allowances for something that he hates then? We'll cover that in just a minute. But furthermore, how can God make a blanket statement like this when it is something that is biblically permissible? He gives reasons that divorce is quote-unquote allowed. And yet he also says things like he hates divorce. He doesn't say he hates some divorce. He doesn't say he hates divorces that are wrong. He says he hates divorce. How can he say that he hates all divorce? It's a valid question. And to answer it, I'm going to cite for you a couple of scriptures. Psalm 5.4 For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. Isaiah 59.2 But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. There are hundreds of other verses I could cite here that state a very obvious fact. God hates sin with a holy passion. He hates sin with a holy passion. Colossians 3, 5, and 6 says, Put away what is earthly in you, for on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. God hates sin. That's why his wrath is going to be revealed. So why do I bring that up in case of divorce? Especially biblically permissible divorce. And here's why. Because all divorce, every single divorce that has ever happened in the history of mankind from the beginning of time until this day right now has involved sin. It is either a sin for the divorce to have happened in the first place because one person just left the other person for something stupid or sin that made it biblically permissible precipitated that divorce and then it made it biblically permissible. Divorce does not happen outside of sin. Sin always takes place in divorce. Again, that does not mean every divorce is sin, but the only biblically permissible reasons to have a divorce are because of sin. If God hates sin, he must hate divorce. It's two plus two equals four. There is no divorce without sin, therefore God hates it, and he does not mince words. But why does he care so much about this particular issue? Why couldn't he have just made it not sinful? God's, God can do what he wants, right? He can just make it okay to do that. Again, what does Jesus refer us back to here? Who is the one who designed marriage? Who is the one that designed family? He answered them, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Whatever therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. 
God made marriage and he made it for a purpose. And that purpose was to display the richness of his love towards us in that he would go to the greatest lengths possible for his bride, for his church, to redeem her and to sanctify her and to justify her. This is why we see in Ephesians chapter 5 that husbands are to love their wives, what? As Christ loved the church. We'll cover that a little more thoroughly here in a minute. God hates divorce because he knows that nothing can give a more inadequate picture of his all-consuming, pursuing love for us, quite like a couple who are unwilling to go to the same lengths to save their marriage. If marriage is a picture of Jesus and his church, and we are so willing to flippantly throw it away because one party becomes unacceptable, then what does that say about Jesus when we are all unacceptable? To a lost and dying world, it says that Jesus will leave you too when you don't become or when you are not acceptable. It says Jesus isn't in it for the long haul, even though he has promised us that he is. He has promised us he will never leave us. He has promised us he will never forsake us. But when we are unwilling to do that with our spouses, we are saying to a lost and dying world, he didn't really mean that. He's not really in it for the long haul because you are so bad. On the flip side of that, though, nothing this side of heaven can fully display God's love for his church. But nothing can get us any closer than when a couple says that they will love each other unconditionally and that they will do anything to make this work. Anything, no matter the trials, no matter the hurts, no matter the sins against, no matter the forgiveness required, no matter what, I'm in this marriage. Nothing can give a lost and dying world a better picture of the gospel than a family who refuses to let their family die, who refuses to let their family fall apart in the name of the gospel. This is why it is so important. This is why God puts so much emphasis on it. See, Jesus reiterates this to the Pharisees from the beginning. He's saying you must go back to the original design and the original designer to get the answers that you seek so then of course the pharisees are pretty clever as well they're not quite as clever as jesus so they never win but they bring up moses this was god's man but jesus they say why did moses allow for men to write out certificates of divorce this is one of those times april 17th 2016 go back this this is perfectly answered in that sermon in short the decree made it more difficult to divorce their wives not less difficult. It was to discourage people from divorce and to protect women, not the opposite of that, not to encourage divorce. So there's the short version. Go back and listen to that sermon. Then Jesus says, so you got Moses. Okay, fine. What does he say though? But I say. Jesus is once again making himself the authority. He is once again saying, I am the one who makes these rules. I am God. Moses was God's man. I'm God himself. So what do I say? And then he says, except in the case of sexual immorality, you cannot divorce without it being sinful. One more time. April 17th, 2016. All of your questions are answered there. Can I or should I get a divorce? Towards the end of that sermon, Pastor Eric lays out every scenario I can think of. If you're an unbeliever and he's a believer. If you're a believer and he's a All of these scenarios are laid out. So if you have questions about permissible divorce, biblically speaking, they're in that sermon. 
Yes, there is a clause in, in 1 Corinthians 7 that is not listed here. That's covered as well, okay? Again, though, if you have questions, come ask us. It is in our time today that I do want to point out that Jesus, while giving a very specific allowance for divorce, notice what he does not do. As a matter of fact, I want you to, to take note of what Scripture never, ever, ever does. You can read it front to back. It does not ever command divorce. It does not ever say you must divorce for this reason. It says you are allowed to divorce for this reason. Divorce is never commanded in Scripture. Go back and read the book of Hosea. I will not go into great detail about this because it's a messed up story, but if ever a brother had a permissible reason for divorce, it was his wife selling herself into prostitution about three or four times and God commanding him to go get her, to go buy her back. Can you imagine spending your money to purchase your wife back? And that's what God commanded him to do. If ever there was somebody who could divorce his wife and it be okay, it's that man. Why did God command him to do that though? Because marriage that won't give up proclaims a God that won't give up. Marriage that will not throw in the towel, who will pursue their husband or wife, proclaims a Jesus that when one sheep goes astray, he goes after that sheep. Divorce is never commanded. But what is commanded? Listen to last week's sermon. I'm just going to refer you to all of them. Listen to last week's sermon. Read the section of Scripture right before this. What is commanded? Reconciliation is commanded. Not allowed, commanded. Forgiveness is commanded. Not allowed, it is commanded. We must follow the commands of God instead of focusing on what God has allowed us to do because of our hardness of heart, because that is what he talks about with Moses. See, last week I asked the question, what would it look like if the baseline of all of our relationships was assumed and absolute forgiveness? This week I extend that very same question in a different way. In a world that says divorce is not only okay, but most of the time encouraged. You're not happy? Get on out. Life is short. Get a divorce. Don't Google that, by the way. That's one of those that it hunted me down and I didn't know what I was getting into. But there is literally a woman who specializes in divorce and that is her slogan. Life's short. Get a divorce. What would our marriages look like to those people if the baseline of our marriages was absolute forgiveness? What if the baseline were no matter what, I am never leaving you. I am never divorcing you. Instead of asking, can I get a divorce now, ask yourself beforehand, how can I avoid divorce at all costs? You see, most marriages, if not all marriages, go through varying degrees of the same problems. All families go through money struggles. All families go through any kinds of varying degrees of infidelity or pornography or any of those things. Most marriages go through workaholic or too much work or not enough time or not enough time spent together. All of these things. Most marriages go through varying degrees or varying combinations of the same problems. What is the difference? The difference is people saying, I'm not leaving. You've sinned, I forgive you. I've sinned. Please forgive me. I'm not going anywhere. For the sake of Christ, we're going to finish what we started. See, the world needs families that will say this. When our parents' parents were growing up, this is what families did. They struggled through. And I'm not saying everything was perfect back then, but 
it didn't seem like it was as big of a mess as it is right now. The world needs families that will say this. The world needs couples that will say this. The world needs more people who are faithful to their wedding vows and willing to forgive each other when they're not faithful to their wedding vows. The world needs more children brought up in stable homes where mom and dad love each other in the good times and the bad times. The world needs the gospel. And this is how we best proclaim it. This is the most poignant way we proclaim it to a world who does not believe it, who has no use for it. This is how we make it real to them. So now that we have established that what is really important in this text is not figuring out when we can get a divorce and when we can finally cut ties with our wives. Hopefully no one was looking for that answer this morning. But what is really important? So how can we be faithful in our families? How can we mirror the gospel and the unconditional love and forgiveness of Christ in our families? How can we avoid divorce? How can we reverse the divorce culture? In essence, all of those questions can be summed up by how can we return to God's original intent for marriage? Because that's what Jesus is pointing us back to here, right? He's very clear. He's like, what, what, what was the intent before Moses? Before all of you were asking these stupid questions. What was the intent then? That's what we want to get back to. Deep breath. Please hear me. I know some of you in this room have been married longer than I've been alive. And you may be thinking, what does a young buck like this really have to offer me in marital advice? Been married six years, going to lecture me on how to keep my marriage together and make my marriage work. My answer to you is I am no one, and I have nothing to offer. And that's pretty much the end of it. But the Holy Spirit has much to offer. God's Word has much to offer. And I have prayed heartily all week that God would use me to speak in these moments. So it is not me. Please try to move me out of the way that I'm not a 34-year-old, been married for six years guy, preaching to you about how to keep your marriage together. Also, this is where the sermon may go in a different direction than when you were expecting if you read ahead this morning. If you are going to be offended this morning or upset by anything I have to say, from here on out is probably where that's going to happen. I'm okay with that. But as believers, we must be asking ourselves this question. How can we make our families more faithful? How can we pull this off? How can we proclaim this gospel to a lost and dying world? How do we get back to the original intent of the gospel? This is also just side note. If I'm ever going to get a, mm-hmm, you tell them, Pastor. Today's the day for that too. But it'll only be coming for half the demographic in the room. Men. The Bible is very clear that if we want to return to this original intent, if we want to carry our families whole through all of the trials and tribulations of marriage, it's on us. I'm not saying women can't be the cause of divorce. I'm not saying women can't mess up. I'm not saying women can't hold a family together and be the glue. What I am saying is that the original intent was not that. The original intent was that men would take the lead. From the beginning, Jesus referenced in our passage today, the onus and responsibility for faithful families has been put on us. God charged Adam with headship of this creation. We must return to that original call. Now ladies, don't tune me out. There's a very specific reason that I want you to listen to what I have to say. Men, definitely don't tune me out. 
could not possibly be preaching this message to myself anymore. Ask my wife. Don't ask my wife. Just assume that she will say that I need to hear this. She would. And I do. I'm preaching to me. And if this doesn't apply to you and I don't step on your toes, good. Be encouraged. Go from this place and love your wife. Ephesians 5 is very clear that men are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. How did he do that? This means you must die for your wife. That's every day. That's not a one-time thing. Did that. Died for my wife. Done. That is every single day. We must sacrifice ourselves to an even higher degree than regular Christians were called to in the previous chapters of giving up our rights and letting others be ahead of our others needs ahead of our own to an even higher degree husbands are called to do this for their wives God has given us great responsibility but he has also given us great privilege in this we are the ones who lead from the front we are the ones called to the front lines fighting for our families we don't send women into the battle for us We hear something in the middle of the night. We don't nudge our wives and send her out to check it out. We go. We are the ones who fight that battle. We don't stand behind them when a gun is shooting at us. We don't use them as a shield. And we definitely don't do this when we're referring to a more likely scenario of a spiritual battle. I've never had a gun pointed at me. I've been attacked many times spiritually. And if we are using our wives as a shield and hoping she will know how to take care of it, then we already have our priorities mixed up. We are called to be men of sacrifice for our wives and for our families. But even more than that, men, the spiritual climate in your home is on you. Anybody grow up in the house where the dad like, was the only one that better be touching that thermostat? Like, if you touch at one degree, if I see that one degree, you are in trouble. Okay, one, I'm not advocating that. I don't care who touches my thermostat. But the spiritual climate in your home, that's on you, brother. Not brother and sister, brother. The spiritual climate is your responsibility. The leading of prayer time and devotional time with your family and your kids is on you. Stop abdicating this responsibility that God has given you of the authority and leadership in your home and allowing your wife, sorry, forcing your wife to take up your slack. Women are superheroes. Amen? No amen? Okay. It's true though. I've seen my wife look like she couldn't take on any more onto her plate and yet she just piles it right on and goes on about her business. They shouldn't have to do that. They shouldn't have to take up our slack, gentlemen. This is not optional for us. This is a command of God. We discussed earlier, we must follow the commands of God. This is a command. The Bible tells us to love our wives. If he commands us to do something, then he is the one that is going to strengthen us to do it. We don't have to rely on our own strength. God is going to strengthen us to do that. But he's also called us to work. He's called us to work at it and to take action and to do something about it. Stop being passive Love your wife the way she needs to be loved. If you don't know how that is, ask her. She'll tell you. Don't assume that she knows I love her because I told her one day on my wedding day. I don't have to tell her all the time now. Tell her all the time. They like hearing it. You want to love your kids well? Love their mama well. Take care of her. Love her. Comfort her when she needs comforting. All of those things. Stop being passive. Stop using the lame excuse 
that I work hard all day, that is how they know that I love them. Kids don't want more stuff. They want your time. They want memories. They want you, Dad. They want the memory of rolling around on the floor when it was tough on Daddy's old knees to get back up. Maybe that was just me. They want stories about family traditions that dad wouldn't let die. Even when they're corny, when they're a kid, when they get older, they're going to tell the story and go, but my dad, goofball, he always made us do this on vacation. They want to remember when daddy said, I'll be there for the big game. Daddy was there for the big game. And work was moved to a second priority. Be tender. Stop thinking you cannot show a softer side or an emotional side. This does not mean you cry harder in rom-coms than your wife. Then you might have a problem. But this does mean that you are emotionally available for your wife. You are emotionally available for your kids. Grunting and mm, whatever is not a sign of affection. Climb in their beds and ask them how their heart is. Ask them tough questions that yes and no will not suffice as the answer. Check on their hearts. Ask them how they are doing. Tuck them in and then go do the same for your wife and ask her, how is your heart, baby? How are you doing? What can I do to serve you better? Listen to her when she tells you how you make her feel when you do or don't do something. And stop going, yeah, but if she feels that way, it's for a reason. And you can work out the details later. Listen. Listen to her. Check on her heart. Stop making excuses and saying you don't have time. I've seen the things we fill our time with. I see the things I fill my time with. I say the Final Four is only one time a year, but then NFL season comes around and then NBA playoffs come around. And then almost any sport I can find myself watching somehow. If there's a winner and a loser, I can probably be entertained by it. And my wife's probably like, there he is again, watching some stupid badminton tournament. Well, you know the rules of badminton. And somehow I pick a favorite team. I want that team to win. They're wearing red. Stop saying you don't have time. And instead, stop filling your time with dumb stuff and cracking the door for Satan to come through and live in your family. Ask your wife how you can serve her when you get home from work. This is not an either or. Oh, I'll stop working and serve my wife. No, no, no. You come home from work because you're called to work. And you come home and ask her, how can I serve you? She'll tell you, because she's got a list. Maybe, again, that's just me. My wife is the king of lists, queen of lists. She'll tell you, how can I serve you? Oh, <laughs> glad you asked. Okay? Ask her. She will tell you. Stop saying that you are tired as if you're not supposed to be tired. You're a man. Get over it. Come home. Be tired. And buck up and do it anyway. You are supposed to go to bed exhausted as a dad, as a, as a husband. And you're supposed to go to bed and sleep well because you have poured every last drop of yourself out for your family. And then you wake up in the morning and you go, God, please give me the strength to do this again because I don't have it. Give me the strength to pour myself out one more time and one more time and one more time. Step into the fray. And stop claiming that you need rest. Jesus is your rest. His glad acceptance of you in your sinfulness is your rest. And when you mess it up because you are going to, you crawl back to Jesus beaten and battered and beg Him 
to ask for one more try. Give me another try. Give me the strength to try this one more time. I messed it up, and I'm sorry. Please forgive me, but give me the strength. Cultivate your love the same way you cultivate your lawn. Wedding days are the most romantic days of most people's lives. As they should be, I guess. That's fine. But if you don't love your wife more now than you did on that day, and I don't care if you've been married six weeks or 60 years, if you don't love your wife more today than you did on your wedding day, something has gone awry. So change something. Actively start loving her so that you can say that you love her more today than on your wedding day. Flirt with your wife. Compliment your wife. Send her goofy, stupid, lovey-dovey text messages throughout the day that only she will care anything about and your boys are going to make fun of you for and be proud that they're going to make fun of you. When your boys call you whipped, go, yep, sure am, to that woman right over there and I love her dearly. And I love her more today than I did 10 years ago. Make sure she knows that you belong to her. You are a one-woman man. Your body is hers. Your mind is hers. And here's the kicker, gents. Your eyes are hers. Your thoughts are hers. They're no one else's. You focus on Jesus and you focus on her. And then the other things come. Your eyes must be on her. Be that guy. Be the guy that people ask stupid questions to. Why aren't you looking at this girl over here? And they say, they say this is how the culture has changed. They come up with terms for it. They say, you're married, you ain't blind. Be blind. What does the Bible say? It says flee sin, right? Be blind. If your eyes cause you to sin, cut them out. Be blind because you're married. Be the first to apologize. More often than not, you're the first one to sin, so you need to be the first one to apologize. Ask for forgiveness. Beg for forgiveness. Be the first to forgive as well. Be the first to apologize and say, you know what, you sin too, but I forgive you. I forgive you. When the kids see daddy fail, may they see daddy fail well. And what does that mean? That means you admit it. That means you go to them and say, you know what, daddy didn't do that right. I have prayed and asked God for forgiveness. Now I'm asking you if you will forgive me, son or daughter. When you snap at mommy because you're tired that day, when you're not patient with them, they're kids. Okay? They're, they're not going to do everything that an adult would. Be patient with them. Always, always, always strive to do better. Don't fix what ain't broken doesn't work in marriage. Always strive to do better today than you did yesterday. When you think you have served often enough and well enough, serve some more. Because you haven't. Serve more and more and more. Because here's the deal. You are not serving your wife and kids. You are serving Jesus. And when your wife doesn't seem to appreciate it, or your kids don't seem to appreciate it, Nora has brought my self-confidence down a peg or two. I apparently needed it because some days she ain't want nothing to do with me. Daddy's girl, pfft, yeah, right. Nope. When they don't seem to appreciate it, remind yourself, I'm not serving Nora. I'm not serving Stephanie. I'm not serving my wife or kids. I'm serving Jesus. And Jesus isn't impressed by it, but he appreciates it. 
because you are doing it for him and his gospel, and that is what he has called us to do. And here's the thing. When I serve my wife well, few and far between maybe, but when I do and I don't expect anything in return is when I get the most in return. It's when my house has a sense of joy and peace in every room I walk in. It's because I'm serving well in the power of the Holy Spirit. It is an amazing place to be in my house when daddy, when husband, when Justin is serving well with the right heart. When men act like men, families flourish. Women flourish. Listen to these words in Psalm 128, 1, 3, and 4. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. You're serving Jesus, and this is the benefit of it. So ask yourself a question. Does my wife look loved, or does she look tired and weary from carrying the load that I'm supposed to be carrying? And I know what you're thinking, men. I can't wait till he gets to the women, because that was tough. It was tough for me to say the words, because I'm also hearing them and going, man, I'm not doing so well. So if you feel like you've been kicked somewhere, I won't say specifically, and you want me to unload on the women now, tough. Ladies, I am going to ask you for something, though, and here's what I ask you. Expect more from us. Stop setting the bar so low for us. Stop letting men make these excuses as to why they are not living up to the call of God and following his commands. Quit making excuses for them. Oh, he works hard. He's tired. I'll take care of the kids. I'll cook. I'll clean. I'll do everything else other than his job. But if he'd let me do that, I'll do that too. Stop setting the bar so low. Encourage us when we do well. Support us. Submit because God tells you to. But if you will expect more from us, I firmly believe that the Holy Spirit will give us the strength to step up to that level. And then submitting to us will be the easiest thing you've ever done. Because you will be submitting to a man who is following Christ. Single ladies. Single ladies. Stop settling for these jokers. Stop going, he's better than the last one, so I guess he's okay. Expect more from him even before you are married. Set your sights on Jesus and expect him to at least try to live up to that standard. He's going to fail. That does not mean you expect perfection. You're just going to be disappointed. Expect more. You see a boy looking at you. He comes sniffing around. Hey, what's up? You like the way he looks? He's cute. He's whatever. Whatever you're looking for. I don't know. Been out of the game a long time. Stop. <laughs> so you... You like the way he looks, but he acts like a little boy. You tell him to go home and read 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and then come back when he's got it down. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, and be strong. Tell him when he comes back and he's ready to love you the way Christ loves the church, maybe we got something here. Stop setting the bar so low. Newsflash, women have a profound effect on the way men act. So when you start expecting more they have no choice but to step up their game. Expect more. Set the bar higher. Single men, not leaving you out either. Start now. You want to reverse the divorce culture in America? Begin dating this way. Stop expecting someone else to take up your slack. Serve 
well, even though you don't live in the same house. There are still ways to serve. Ask her how you can do so. Stop expecting sex on the first date or the second date or any date other than your wedding date and then expect a lot of it. Hey, God designed marriage and that was part of it. But don't expect it before that day. Stop pressuring her to do things that she are explicitly commanded not to do in the Word of God and that she has explicitly told you she does not want to partake in until she's married. Stop believing the lie that it is okay to love video games more than you love people. Stop believing the lie that it is okay to live with your parents till you are 30. Stop believing the lie that it is okay to be lazy because Bay got a good job and she'll take care of daddy. It's not the way it works. I don't care if your wife is a gazillionaire, you get out and work. You're not called to be a hobby expert. You're called to work. Men and women, we must step it up. If we want to portray the gospel with our lives and our relationships, we must stay when it is hard. We must dig in and keep our promises for the sake of the gospel. Even and especially when it's hard. And some of you may be thinking right now, but Pastor Justin, does that mean I stay in an unhappy marriage? Yep. Yep sounded too easy. Yes, you absolutely stay in that. And here's why. Because your gospel witness is much more important than your happiness. That is in relationships, that is in marriages, that is in life. Your gospel influence, your gospel witness is more important than how happy you are that day. Like always, this scripture, even about divorce, is not about us. It is about Jesus Jesus is faithful, so we must be faithful. Jesus shows us steadfast love, so we must show steadfast love. Jesus unconditionally forgives, so we must forgive unconditionally. Jesus keeps his promises, therefore we must keep our promises. We must focus on the gospel with every fiber of our being, every second of every day. Moses made allowances because so many people had lost sight of that. But if we focus singularly on the gospel with our whole lives, then not only will divorces not happen, they won't even need to be an option. Focusing on the gospel makes it easier and necessary to be quick to forgive. It makes it easier and necessary to repent. It makes it easier and necessary to apologize and easier and necessary to serve well and easier and necessary to love well, even when it is difficult. In short, as we close, we must always focus on the gospel, on the one who lived this out perfectly and then calls us to strive for that perfection, even though we're not going to make it. Strive for the same. We must be diligent to proclaim the gospel in every avenue of our lives, especially in our marriages and in our families. Christ lived this out perfectly, and we are called to do the same for the sake of his gospel message to a lost and dying world. And there's no place more visible than the family. There's no place that this is going to be more poignant to them than seeing our marriages not suffer and not end. Stop believing the culture and her lies. The world needs faithful families. The world needs faithful couples. The world needs the gospel. Pray with me.